Welcome to Behind the Woman with your host, Dr. Johanna Rogers. I had just finished performing Four Color Girls Who Consider Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough at Auburn Public Theater. And performing that piece was so therapeutic. And I was like, wow, those words in that experience. And Intashaki Shange had just like put fire under me that made me even think more critically about what I was going to do. Entozake Shange was an African-American playwright, poet, and feminist who used her work to address sensitive topics regarding racism. Sunday, Entozake Shange passes away. And I was like, man, well, who's left to create these spaces and these words that really celebrate Black women and who they are? And I'm not in a space anymore where I see women of color all the time, so how do I create it? And I met Black Hub and I said, I had this wild idea like, well, maybe I'll film some conversations because Syracuse, the reason why I'm here is that I feel like I'm getting fed in so many ways by a number of the brilliant women that are leading and changing this community through their roles and their activism. And so um, I invited them to my house <laughs> one uh, weekend. And I was like, just sit down on the couch and talk with me to, and, and tell your story. Storytelling is a form of resistance. It's a way of centering the voices of women of color who are oftentimes muted in many ways. And so I put all those things together and invited the guys over to shoot some interviews and you get behind the woman. The WCNY strives to be a public media for Central New York. It tells our stories and serves our community. I can't think of a better way to fulfill that focus than to work with Johanna and all of you to develop Behind the Woman as a television show. This program is brought to you by the members of WCNY. Thank you. National Grid is proud to support Behind the Woman because of the energy it provides to our community. This is Newark, New Jersey, Dr. Rogers' hometown. We had to stay on the porch and we just played. They had dirt in the front of their house and we just played in the dirt. Yeah. And your that mama was. Crack. To this day, your mama still cracked fat, queasy jokes. You was a little plump. 
Queasy. Thank you. That's the best thing. That's that, the best you ever expressed it on you camera. You was plump. That's you my was plump. Yeah, I appreciate that. You were plump. That. I appreciate that. So you would that. just be, you know what I mean? You would waddle a little bit. <laughs> right, now, you, now, you, now you're going back to where you but, was. But. I grew up in a, what I describe as a village. The house that I grew up in was one that my grandfather had rehabbed and my parents lived in after they got married. Um, that's the house, you know, my mom still lives in. That's where I go home to. And um, that brings me a lot of comfort. My mother really got me involved in the arts. She was always reading the newspaper and uh, finding out about programs. And so I got a scholarship to participate in the Garden State Ballet uh, dance program. Every Saturday and sometimes Wednesdays and Fridays, I would spend my time at 45 Academy Street in the Garden State Ballet learning to dance with a group of black and brown girls. My teachers, the folks standing in front of the room to help me grow and learn all look like me. And so I had developed this kind of like expectation of the world that that's what I would find and that there was a standard of excellence associated with that. We got two princesses on the block. The first princess is my aunt Claudinette Pierre slash Jean. All right, she's married to Wyclef Jean. And the second princess is Johanna Rogers. She's like the next we want to see blow and make it out. You know what I mean? Quote, unquote, the hood. You know what I mean? Like, everybody knew, like, that's, that's, that's our good girl. Like, don't mess with her. Like, she's good. That was spoken through her family as well as it was spoken to us. And we always made sure she was good. My mom would push me to leave, to go and see other things and other places all the time, even sometimes when I didn't want to. Uh, but I've come to understand that having a parent that pushes you to do those things puts you in a position to th think about the world in a different way. I felt when I was growing up, I didn't really have that total encouragement or the opportunities that she had available to her now. So therefore, the things that I wasn't able to do were all the things I instilled and encouraged her to do. She liked to dance, she sang, she attempts to sing, and she was always doing things of that nature. There were times of, she would want to create little shows and different things for her and her friends to do. Her cousins, uh, they would always entertain uh, doing uh, Thanksgiving dinners. They would put on a little show for the family. This was their little hustle to get money for Christmas gifts for themselves or they say for the family. So they would do a collection and it just grew bigger from there. St. Mary of the Assumption High School in Newark. 
I say my elementary school was diverse. It wasn't as diverse as my high school. So you could literally walk down the hall to my high school and hear languages from all over the world. That's where I learned how to bring cultures together and talk about literature in a way that really, really expanded my mind. And I found recently notebooks from my AP English class with Mrs. Cirillo. And we wrote poetry and we performed poetry. And she asked us to use our voice. That was where, you know, the shows in my grandparents' living room and the arts backgrounds, my time at Garden State Ballet and um, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center and seeing shows on Broadway became a vehicle for me to think about how to tell the stories that I had seen or experienced growing up in my neighborhood. There was a uh, scholarship, I don't know whether it was a state or what kind of scholarship, but there was a scholarship uh, application that she was doing, so I wrote a letter of recommendation for that. Johanna also enjoys discussions of ideas and using the power of language to make her points. She excels in public speaking, skits, and improvisation. We all look forward to her acting out any scene from the literature, which she does without any prompting from us. Right in the middle of class, all of a sudden she might be acting it out. Uh, I've taught for 30 years at St. Mary's, but there are about five classes that you remember so vividly because of the discussions and because of the personality of the class. And I think Johanna had a lot to do with the personality of that class. That class, we had an amazing teacher, Ms. Cirillo, and we, we read books that were very eye-opening. I had never read books from black perspective before, especially in school. So she introduced a lot of those uh, books that were written from a black perspective, written by black authors, women and men, in that AP English class. And Johanna was in the class with me. And we had a lot of discussion in those classes. And I was drawn to her because of those discussions in, in our class. I would have them write in their notebooks every night, reactions to the literature. And then we would sit in a circle and I would ask them to go around reading pieces of it. And she was always so enthusiastic about everybody else's input. The conversation was great. It was in this city of North that I really learned how to navigate. Um, I learned how to advocate for myself. I learned how to celebrate who I was as a young black girl in this predominantly black city. When I left New Jersey and I went to college, undergrad and I left that bubble, I was like, oh my gosh. Figuring what I had lost was this like continual um, exposure to blackness and my culture on a, on a regular basis. It was like, you know, I wasn't used to being away for so long. I went to Penn State, and it's in the smack dab middle of the state of Pennsylvania, and it couldn't get less diverse than that. Being a black woman in this country is hard. Once you get beyond a particular space, when I leave the city of Newark, you don't often find spaces and places that are predominantly black and brown that celebrate who they are in the same ways. And so you have to figure out how to create that. She created this group called the DITs, Divas in Training. I thought that was really cool. So her and her friends had this group and um, she really 
that brought like unity to with the girls or whatever. Because you know sometimes we as women can be very like catty, and I think that brought them together. That led to ironically the same things that I had been doing at home. Um, we got involved with Black Student Union, and we started to create shows on campus and. We came up with these moments that we wanted to celebrate and make sure the community understood were important to us as Black or Caribbean American students. So that experience led me to being um, the Woman of the Year and, and receiving one of Penn State's highest leadership awards um, before I graduated. You don't play basketball. When I um, realized that I was having a baby, um, none of my friends wanted to talk to me because they're like, your mother is going to kill you. When I learned that she was pregnant, my thoughts and concern was she had already voiced what she wanted to do to proceed in her higher education after undergrad to go on for her master's and her doctoral. I just kind of sensed that would kind of stop her or slow her down, I, I really felt at that time it probably was not going to materialize because of the fact, the obligation of being a parent. My son, Niall, he is the reason I ended up in Indiana. I was home in Newark looking to move to New York City and having him made me think about who I was and what I wanted to be in the world in such a real, real way. Um, and I knew with him coming in, that I couldn't just choose the comfortable, that I had to choose something daring and powerful because I wanted him to see that he could live a life that he dreamed of and that he loved. So we left home and went into Indiana, but he grew up on a college campus and he was in classrooms with me. The doctoral journey is a very isolated one, and it's very individualized, and you're forced to spend a lot of time with yourself. And when I got into the program, I was starving for that connection and support and that feeling of a village. As a woman of color, a person of color, in the, in the doctoral process, you find other people that connect to you, and you want to try to find ways to work together to make it through this, um, this experience. Uh, and being a black woman in that doctoral program, and I had many women of color that were mentors, and I sought out spaces, but it's still the process of earning a PhD that um, breaks you down in so, so many ways. And so it became so critically important to find people that understood who you are, what you were experiencing. And so my friend um, and colleague, uh, Nidrea Njoku, she and I were like, maybe we should get some women together and like talk about what it's like going through this process. Some of those women, we didn't all get together every week or any of that. Everybody wasn't the best of friends or connected on a regular basis, but we created a space to come into. We didn't, you know, name ourselves or intentionally do anything except for ask the School of Education, hey, what about a picture of all of us on the School of Education site? 
And the response we got back from the university led to a, a Facebook post. And next thing you know, the White House is calling and headlines across the country had our pictures and our names and our story on it. The candidates in the IU School of Education is making history. They're known as the Great Eight. And the Great Eight was a moment in time where this broader community of folks I did and did not know said that, yes, the work that you are doing and have done along with your colleagues is really important. We did the graduation. Me, myself, I thought it was over then, but she did say she had a few additional things with the dissertation and the rewrites and things she had to do. And I thought maybe it's because, you know, you're not focusing as hard on it like you were in the beginning. Is that why it's taking so long? I kept being told that my writing was not good enough. Where I came from, there was music, there was dance, there was writing, but it was writing in a way that was artistic and celebratory of who I was and what my neighborhood looked like. And um, I hadn't been trained for academic writing. I questioned whether I belonged there and if I could, if I could do what was being asked of me or expected of me to do. And I remember going into my mentor's office, like, I don't think I can do this. I'm gonna finish my PhD, but I'm not gonna write it here. Like, I have to get home, right? I, I wanted to be back in the space and place that affirmed who I was um, and that filled me because I felt very, uh, disconnected and as an artist or a writer or an intellectual it's hard to be in that space and place when you're not at your best. I was furious simply because of the fact like what are you doing? You're there and you're not there yet or you, you're slowing down and you're giving up after all these years you're closer to the end than the beginning. I want to figure things out. I didn't want to quit but if I understood where I lacked then I could think about how to get uh, better. That's how I got down the path of meeting Nadine and her sister Jackie, who has the Black Women's Writing Center in Newark, of all places. I co-own the retreat with my sister, Dr. Jacqueline Mattis. We provide a space for writers, scholars, artists, activists to come in, uh, lay out their plan for um, whatever projects they're working on. So Johanna came in to basically complete her dissertation. It was almost as if she wasn't just doing it for herself, but also um, the community that she was writing on or was a part of, there was a huge need to serve that community. She told me, because I was the last one to finish my dissertation and defend of the grade eight, that eight is God's number and eight is infinity. And so you are blessed in that number and you will finish and go on to do great things and uh, spending the weekend there at their um, bed and breakfast really changed my life. After months of continued perseverance, Johanna completed her dissertation on African-American student experiences in the Dominican Republic and received her doctorate degree in higher education. So then finally, I, got, I get an email and a letter saying she had achieved it, she completed it, but I, I became very proud when it got to the point I saw she did achieve that and kept it moving. My experience became how do you utilize the folks around you to create the space 
that you need to affirm you when you're not in a space of home. You know, the challenges of PhD program being broke, <laughs> um, exhausted, broken, um, brought me to Syracuse. The Southwest Community Center provides family, health, and educational services in one of the city's lowest income areas. I was working on um, an entrepreneurial project with a local woman here, and um, she said, consider coming. And, you know, being here, it's, it's less expensive than where you are, and there's um, opportunities to get involved in work. And so I thought that I would come you know, for a short stint, I would uh, start applying to institutions of higher education and somebody might hire me. We hear now from Juhana's mentor and the deputy mayor of Syracuse, Sharon Owens. This city has many of the same characteristics that you would find in my hometown. There was a strong representation of African-Americans living here in leadership positions. There was still this kind of small town uh, feel to it that uh, Newark isn't a small town at all, but it's surrounded by a lot of small towns. And so um, I could easily navigate it, but I, I hadn't planned on staying uh, until I walked in the Southwest Community Center. I was in the office at Southwest Community Center and all of a sudden this big tall woman walks in the door and said, somebody told me that you need to go see Sharon Owens because she was looking for a job. And I was like, that's me. Tell me what you're doing. What's going on? She began to tell me something about her history that she had just come from Indiana. There was something in the conversation that we had that told me, hey, I got something coming up, a position open. Send me your resume and let's interview. And so we did. She was one of three finalists. and. Um, and uh, by the time we got to the three of them, you know, the plan is we go back and have a conversation. I said, that's our director. And so, you know, people looked at me like, we're not going to talk about this? No, not really. I'm the boss. I see my director. She reports to me. That's what's going to happen. Aspiring to make a larger impact on the community, Juhana accepts a position at Center State CEO as Director of Community Engagement and Empowerment. It was the conversation, the staff that I met there, the challenges that I endured, how I had to grow, how I had to balance knowing what I know, being able to articulate it in, in, in academic terms, how do I apply that to the community that I want to sincerely in my heart help and, and um, advocate for and, and defend in spaces that oftentimes many of them would not be invited to or they wouldn't be sitting at the table just because of um, cultural or racial bias or lack of access in many ways. Every piece of my life I've been part of this community, whether it was my cousins or my aunts or the, my girlfriends in college or the women that I formed the sister circle with at IU, I found this space and place uh, where I could relate and, and, and feed my soul and hopefully feed other souls um, by just fellowshipping with one another. And when I left Southwest Community Center, I lost that space on a daily basis. I was thinking about um, you know, what what can you do next? I met Black Cub and I said, I had this wild idea like, 
well, maybe I'll film some conversations because Syracuse, the reason why I'm here is that I feel like I'm getting fed in so many ways by a number of the brilliant women that are leading and changing this community through their roles and their activism. We sat and just started writing out all the different ideas that she had and all the different things we could do. And then we said, based on your resources and based on what we have um, and the time frame, what can we do now? And we, she was like, well, it's, there's always been this talk show idea. And then I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. And we started like fleshing it out. And you know, that's when, that's when it originally first started. She came over to um, my restaurant on a quiet day and we just sat at a t dining room table. And she started to tell me about her project and what she was trying to do with Behind the Woman. And she said to me, but I need help with my business plan. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm there to, to help you in any which way I can. And so that's really how it started. It was a lot of behind the scenes, just coordinating some of the activities and, and being there for her, right? And providing the support where she needed it. When I hear other women quoting what other women have said, Vanessa Campbell says, uh, do it afraid. And now everywhere I go, I hear women saying, you know, like Vanessa said, do it afraid. Or, you know, Sharon, you're the ne next chance that someone gave you. And other women are lighting up and talking about how their stories really empowered them. Um, and I see them talking to each other about it. Um, I get very excited. Syracuse as a city is greater than a lot of people think. It has its problems just like any other city does, but there's amazing people doing amazing things. And this show is showcasing those people and showcasing just how great Syracuse is. This show is important and needs to continue to grow because it pushes positive narratives about a city that was told it has none. A lot of times you don't see black women or well, women in general in a positive light and this is a way that, you know, young girls in the neighborhood can be like, oh, you know, I can do this. She comes from where I come from. So I can, you know, have my own show. I can go to school. I can make something of myself. Jahana is bringing all of these people together, right? And, and in the end, a community can't survive unless people are working together, unless they know each other's stories and their backgrounds and their struggles and how they can help each other. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's a great thing coming into Syracuse, and I think it's an important thing that's needed here. These women have changed my life. There's no way I think you can sit down and uh, talk with someone and you look them in the eye and ask them about who they are and where they come from and walk away unimpacted. They have challenged me to think about my own fears, um, they have pushed me and inspired me to put myself out there. In our own ways, we have formed a bond and relationship that really has spoken to the power of this community and the potential within it and the love that's here. Next time on Behind the Woman. It's extremely important for me to be in a space where I can be recognized as a deputy mayor. What's more important is for me to be accessible enough that you can see yourself as a deputy mayor. If I'm doing this work and next year I'm still the only one, you haven't done your job. I haven't done my job. Mentoring is everything to me. Paying it forward is everything to me. To be better for others, you have to be the best for you. Every one of us is the last chance somebody gave us. Thank you.
This program is brought to you by the members of WCNY. Thank you.